I was going to go and do a solo one in the park. Mm-hmm. And um, I do like half of them solo and then the other half with my girlfriend Tasha mm-hmm. and then with com- comedians and you know people that I love that you do it with Tasha I think that's so important yeah I, I'm, I, I have a girlfriend now and I'm really yeah and I really don't really, work with her <laughs> <laughs> no it's good it's good but I'm also like laugh. I almost like, like wonder if I want my own thing again because I'm such like oh well, I need a thing for me but like her being a part of it has open the doors to communication that we've never had because she can't say real cunty things and I can't be like you know what fuck you because then people ready to go Dave you're an asshole so like it really but there has been maybe 8% of the podcast she'll just walk out of the room and be like fuck this and I'll pause it and be like, come on I'm just teasing you whatever we go into it I, I, maybe, maybe that's one of the secrets to dating nowadays is that you know I think our parents sort of thrived on sort of secrets and like things not being yeah, they, uh, they, like things below the surface. They would put, they would sweep. Yeah, they sweep under the rug. Yeah, and yeah, they had all those like Fiddler on the Roof songs, like uh, I don't know if it's love, but it's something else. Or, yeah, you know, they, they are were, your parents together? They are. They are. Yeah, really. And they they made, stay together. They stayed through everything, and they they just they don't like each other. They have problems. <laughs> But they're together, and I think that that it's so different. But now. they work it out. They work it out. They're I, not like together, but like right. sleep on the other side of the house. Yeah. Now it's like it's almost like you're uh, when your parents say to you, like, "You're so lucky. You have everything." You know, they're like they don't realize that that's also overwhelming. Yeah. It's overwhelming that you expect everything from your girlfriend. Yeah. That, and that she expects everything from you. It's. I think people, no matter what you're given to start off with in life, no matter where you are. I think we all have, e- and I'm probably going to shift for this, I think we all have equal shit that we're dealing with. Even the billionaire. You know what I mean? Like, I, you can't know what their issues are. Mm. The poor guy, or the guy sleeping in a tent, he might be happier yeah. than the guy who just was given shit and now he's, and he lost it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think just feel one like... Of the, I think one of the best jokes I've heard uh, in the last five to ten years is Gary Goldman's joke about Trump being a billionaire. I don't know if I've heard it, but I love it's him. So good, and I, I, it's you know, I hear all this. I'm trying to do Trump material, and it doesn't work. And it's, it, why it, doesn't it work? Because because nobody understands him. No, nobody nobody gets him as a person. Right. People just see him as a, as like an object or a thing. I like and, to look at him as like a boy. Yeah, a boy just like just like saying like, pay attention to me. Right, absolutely, and and I think that for Goldman, he has this great joke about Trump being like the poorest billionaire. <laughs> he's so blue co- he is so blue collar so, so when it comes to billionaires he's like the he's like the little kid at the table yeah. who doesn't get what he oh, wants you build hotels <laughs> <laughs> wow i mean you got to hear this joke and it, and i think that it, it totally makes fun of trump in this original way where even he would appreciate it and that i think would be that great we, if you could get trump to laugh at himself that well that's my that would bo- break down so many walls that's my dream in my career is i want him to invite me to the white house to perform three years from now there you go. That's my dream. That this is the, this is where people heard it first. <laughs> so we're talking to Greg, uh, Craig Fox. Sorry, Craig Fox here. And um, dude, you, I've been. Um, first of all, we are we are deep into Queens, New York. <laughs> I never in a million years would come out here just like in the middle of the day. But I was hanging out on Seventy Second Street. I wanted to go to Seventy Second Street Bagel. It was shut down, and that was just a place I always went to. And when you have a place, you don't look for anywhere else. And then I had to Google search like bagel shops around there, and I got Zucker's half a block away, twice as good. So now my mind's blown about New York. Just when one place closes, literally, there's a better spot nearby. I'm having a bagel, texting you, and you're like, "Get over here to." Uh, I won't say your address, <laughs> but it, but what a beautiful area! Well, you this is actually a really famous area. It's Kew Gardens. 
Uh, it was old Hollywood in the 19-teens and 20s. Really? Uh, the, the houses are all movie executive and TV executive. Not one person listening, if they don't know New York, would think New York City can look like this. We're just it, in a it, suburban neighborhood, beautiful. I, I live right down the street from Charlie Chaplin's old house. Oh yeah. shit! And I think that that's where I think that that's where the industry is going. I think it's going to go back to 1920s movie studios. I think we're all going to build movie studios all around the country and just make our own and shit. Make our own shit. Absolutely. So. And that's we'll get into that. That's what, exactly what you're <laughs> doing right now is making yeah. your own shit. People that listen, here's our demographic. They're all over the place. It's amazing. We get we got single guys. We got teens. We got divorcees. We have married couples, uh, widows. Every uh, couples that were getting divorced and now they're not. I mean, dude, it's insane. Mm. So like, yeah, I think I, th- you know, I've always branding's always a big thing, and you know, we're called sex. Actually, I feel like sometimes it turns people away from what we actually do. Sure. Because we talk about sex, dating, things like that, but it's the dynamic that bonds us all with our current relationships, our exes, our parents, mm. our siblings. And like, I'm going through a crazy week, family reunions. My girlfriend was able to come and like meet a lot of my family. And it was like, dude, it was an emotional, like I had this teary eyed moment playing basketball, playing a pool basketball with my siblings. I have like these younger brothers. Luckily I'm like in the water. So I don't look like I'm crying at the time. (laughs) I'm like, I'm starting to cry. Go into water. People are just focused on your hair. That's all. (laughs) You're distracting. Uh, My brothers have good hair, but I got a 14 year old brother. I got a 20 year old brother. Now I'm just imagining your family. Just this amazing hair. Yeah, you just see some of my cousins all hair. Yeah, and uh, dude, it was just great. Like they're like strong men now. Like the twenty-year-old, even the fourteen-year-old's five eleven. He grew like a foot and a half since I last saw him. So like we're just like we're just like roughhousing, fouling the shit out of each other. And like they're strong, they work out, they're like young, uh, and I'm still I still wouldn't lose. I'm still beating the shit out of them. Like yeah. I'm playing basketball in a pool, so like I'm tearing my toes up, pivoting and barefoot on the. You know, it was just a fucking. It you was, still got it, man. Well, I'm <laughs> thirty-two, man. You're I'm, hanging in there. I'm at that age now where like. I punch them. They punch back. <laughs> like you can feel like, ow, that hurts. But it's been so great um, experiencing all that. And now I'm in. I came to New York for a couple of days. No agenda. Really, no shows. <laughs> like just, just you know what I mean. I did a show last night. It was horrible. Oh. I did bar none. It was just a, you know, it just a. I, I, I wasn't aware of the quality of rooms. You know, like I know that shows like that exist. They mm. exist in L.A., mm. New York. They're just workout rooms. Yeah, I, th- I think that what's happening in the New York comedy scene—it's—it's—it's it's, it's almost so insane that people from outside of New York, and I managed a venue for about two and a half years here, so I, I've seen it. People from outside of New York have this image about what New York comedy is like. Man, it's it, right? And it is. It's just so much different than you think it is. It's that and more. It's absolutely. It's the good, but there's like. And the more is actually what I've been fascinated with. It's what I've been studying for two and a half years is trying to understand how the entertainment industry has been flattened and how a lot of times the person who just gets into it is as interesting as the person who's been doing it for nine years. Yeah. Well, those gatekeepers, those traditional gatekeepers, they're still there, but not everywhere. Like there's, there are ways around them. And this is good. What we're about to talk about, it's good for people in other industries because it's very like this podcast can be very self-actualizing the way we talk about like leap and the net will appear. Do your thing. If you want to be a poet, I always say poet. That's my like, like romantic thing. But if you want to be a poet, go be a poet. I think that that's part of what's happened right now is, is we've, we've lost a lot of the words and the ways we used to describe artwork and so what happens now is poetry even has taken on this sort of negative connotation or sort of overly 
This poor man's yeah, it's, grind. It, poor man's grind, or maybe it's sort of the poet has this idea of like uh, romantic, romantic. Oh, that's overly romantic to be a poet. It's like if you listen to good hip hop, it's poetry. Sure. If you listen to great comedy, it's poetry. If you listen to uh, your you know. comedy's poetry because you you have the George Carlin. Uh, uh, not not to say like you're compare you to anybody, but it's a very syncopated, like it's like a there. It's a it's a it's very much a. Uh, like a like musical almost the way like your the rants and the oh wow the, the beats you know what I mean yeah, and so no, we met so we I'm met at stand up New York random comedy club um right we met like two years ago and oh, then yeah, um two and a half yeah and then uh your cat's licking me it's a little distracting I love I love it I'm like talking it's amazing having a cat we it's, have stray cats in L A that won't even go near us so like when a cat actually goes near me I'm like oh we should be friends it, yeah it's, it's <laughs> living with a cat is completely but, changed so so uh, yeah we podcast with cats that's what we do should we start a, p- a podcast where cats just roam on the equipment <laughs> so we met at stand up New York and then I think next time I was in town stayed in touch and then um you, so you you were producing you like took over a venue, a little basement venue in the heart of where comedy belongs in New York, like right off of McDougal Street, Bleecker right. Street, right there where like, you know, just drive around the corner from Comedy Cellar, which is just the the best in the world. Yeah. Like live right there. They just hang right there. Yeah. So, so we, so then I've done, I've done a ton, like a ton of your shows there. Yeah. So you take over the Lantern. Do you, was it, you just knew you could, you could run that place? And Well, what it was is that it was, I, I wish that I had uh, sort of taken over, but really what it was is I lucked out because the guy, that, before I was there, uh, really what happened, I think, about 15 years ago, and I think every artistic industry can relate to this. What I think, you know, the, whether you're a musician, whether you are a writer, whether, whether you are an actor and a director, or probably even if you graduated from college, lost your job, and signed up for a Ponzi scheme, Whoever you are, what happened is is everything became a pay-to-play scheme. So it stopped being, and no one talks about this. Everybody just pretends that this, this doesn't exist. But the entertainment industry now is, okay, do you want to do a show? Great. Bring 15 to 20 of your friends. Tickets are $20. There's a two-drink minimum. Drinks are between 8 and $15. So it, whatever field you're in... Now what's happening is all the people who love and support you and genuinely enjoy your voice and your work are bringing people and then those people are spending $70, $80 and you're only getting 10% of that. Or, no, or nothing. Or nothing. <laughs> and at a certain point what happens, you lose faith and hope and, and confidence. Your fr- fans and friends feel taken advantage of or that they just can't handle it anymore because it's just not that funny. And then the venue, believe it or not, they lose out because their reputation goes to hell. And people stop going to that venue because when they go, it's not that good. Because they're getting the next right. hopeful person that can cash in right. on their friends. And unless you're the comedy seller or the stand or somebody who somehow has been able to sort of like the New York Yankees keep a nucleus of something... Unless you do that, you really are screwed. Yeah. And now more than ever with Trump as president, and I'm not saying whether you love him or hate him, that doesn't matter. The the, the point is is that he's not interested in comedy. <laughs> right. And, and nothing's funny. And I'll tell you what, uh, that's not his fault. That's mine. My job as a comedian is not to blame Trump. It is to make fun of him. And if he doesn't find me interesting enough, then I need to write harder and work harder so that he invites me to the White House. Because it's I have to be invited. 
I have to stop messaging Trump and saying, hey, Trump, can you book me, please? Right. No, no, no. no. I want Donald to watch my show and say, that dude hurts me. So how? So with the direct route— I either want him to put me in prison or invite me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, well, that—so due to the Patriot Act, maybe it's both. Maybe we'll uh, get—I'll send you some weird text messages. (laughs) You know, and so what happened is uh, there was a guy running uh, the the venue before I started running the Village Lantern. It was mostly pay-to-play. Now— like I said, I don't hate anybody who does anything because they, they're doing what they need to do to survive and to provide opportunities. But now things are changing. Now what's happening in New York is people have realized that their comedy isn't funny. And when they realize that, and just like me, my comedy isn't, you know, it's, I'm working on it. What <laughs> happens is, is then people say, okay, it doesn't matter how, how much money I make or where I perform. What matters is that when people come to my show, they leave and they go, that was awesome hilarious Bring my i want to come time. back yeah and when you start to think like that as an artist then what you do is you go to a local bar stop with the comedy clubs go to a local bar where they have five dollar margaritas three dollar tecates two dollar bud lights a back room monday nights empty tuesday nights empty don't do a show every week don't do a show every night do a show once a month and make it the best show in all of cleveland so that you become that guy from cleveland Right. who's awesome. And then what happens is is you do that show and you make it the dopest thing that it's ever been. And then you in, and then your fans and your friends they know. They wow. respect the quality of what you're putting out. And then what happens is really rich businessmen who feel horrible about themselves will come up to you <laughs> after the show and say that you changed my life, you saved my marriage. Here's $100. Yeah. And when that happens that, that 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 happens. And yes, it does. And when that happens, that's when you say, "Okay, Okay, now I can go and invite. Okay, now I can charge twenty five dollars. Yeah, and people will pay. So it's, it's about getting to a place where you're where not that you're not worth worth it up and coming, but be undeniable so that you, you when you're ready to cash in and make money as a professional, that's what you're doing. And and being undeniable, you can be that tomorrow. So, you know, this whole concept of undeniable puts too much pressure on you as a developing artist. So then what happens is you feel like, well, I'm not undeniable, so I should just go fuck myself. And th- you're undeniable if you make people laugh and they get $5 margaritas and leave drunk and have great and sex. And then it's just at the scale at which you're Correct. selling out theaters, Correct. rooms. But, but, but if you do 10 minutes of new material and you're, you're, you've been doing comedy for a year and people leave the show, and they go, that was awesome, good for you, man. Yeah. You're doing it. And so, and it'll get tighter, and it'll get, uh, yeah. it'll just, you'll, you'll own it more the longer you do it. But yeah, it's... So, yeah, so then the lantern got handed to a bunch of comics because that guy got left. And then the comics who were running it did a really nice job of creating a community. But the problem is, is that there was nobody at the shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then so I came in, and I was packing out one show a week, and then two... And then the owner asked me to run it. And then I had to make some tough decisions because, you know, uh, there was really not a lot of people at the venue on other nights. And I really wanted to create something different. And then um, one of the comics who had been running it is a really close friend of mine said, you run it. And then the owner said, you run it. And then what I really learned is that if you just give young comics a place to grow, it's in your business interest as well. 
because the young comics will promote the venue for you. Of course. If they think they're not going to bomb at the venue, hey, come see me. This is a fun show. It's weird. It's weird how the momentum is carried with like, there's a show at a laundromat, but it's fun. Come over. You got to do it. Like if if the venue, if it's a rooftop or wherever it is and people believe in it, the word gets out so fast. And what I think happened is a lot of people would ask me over the last three years, how do I get booked at the Village Lantern? How do I get booked at the Village Lantern? And the issue is, is it wasn't really possible (laughs) because there's 35 young comics there already. And those 35 young comics ran the Lantern. And so it was a cell, it was an ecosystem. Yeah. And so you had to get to know one of those 35 people and then you could work there with the, those 35 people. And each guy or girl had a different way that they did their shows. Yeah. And then it was sort of a, it was an ecosystem. It's great. I mean, you and it still this. runs that way now. So there's a, there's a, a young, t- few young comics who run it now. So yeah. I've left. So they do like two shows yeah. a night. So if anyone's right two, uh, or? yeah, 25 a week, 25 now. a week. So, so we do four on Friday, four on Saturday, four on Sunday. Uh, that's you know. amazing. And then there's there's going to be a second showroom. We had two. And they're all free, right? They just have drinks. They just have yeah. A wait- there's all no kinda. cover, but we do have special events with a cover every once in a while. But the the whole idea is that it's up and coming comics that you're going to see in five to seven years, and you're going to be like, wow, I saw that comic for sure. Yeah, I've met a, I've met a ton just from performing there, and you've got the perfect stage. You can touch each wall. It's like you're like you're in there, but you have a little room to play. But that perfect New York touch the ceiling. Yes. The green room is this little sliver of space next to the waitresses yeah. register off to the you know yeah. one one room away, and it's just fucking like you 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 could give me a room like that with a ha- like at least half full or or not. I've done shows there two people, but like you give me that like that's the perfect test tube for finding what's funny and then you could yes. literally take that anywhere you want to go because Absolutely. You've, you've rung it through the system of new york yeah and it's people off the street so you know it's it's a, it's actually honest because people are they have no interest in you and that's one of the hardest things that's one of the reasons why i work so hard at the lantern i used to stand outside and bark and barking's when you try to convince people to yeah. come into the show there's a place in new in la that i do that improv yeah. space so it's right at ucla next to an in and out so mm. it's it's not the it's a specific audience of usually college students they're usually n- not don't, don't really understand how stand-up works so a lot yeah. of times you have an audience you got to kind of whip into place but it's a chance to get a room full of people and then just, you know, it's, just it's, work things out. It's so important for a comedian because, because you know, we, we even as you get more successful, the fans and the friends, that they, they're going to they're gonna already be partial. Right. And it's really important for your, your taste and your aesthetic that you run your stuff for people who don't know you. Because it's, it's a constant reminder that every time you get up on stage, you're starting for the first time. Now, how does your personal life fit into your stand-up? Are they separate? Do they... Do, you, do they mesh together? It's it's gotten a lot better because I think that I was obsessed with you know I, I when I the comedy club that I first started at um, and you know it what happened is is that people would just be making thousands of dollars and the comedians were making nothing right and so at a certain point what you got what you what I got upset about was the business side of comedy and art in general Mm -hmm. and understanding how to get artists more money. And I realize running free shows in the West village might not look like I'm doing that, but I'm really committed to trying to get comedians more money. Yeah. Cause what's happening is, is Kevin Hart might make 87 billion, but the the issue is, is if you're a feature act and you're on the road, uh, you, you're committing suicide. 
Yeah, you know, it's, 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 and that's why I love you so much because I think you're a guy who for the next 25 years is going to be around doing great stuff. Boy, I'd hope so. And I watch you kind of battle this and, and I, I'm doing a different battle, but I feel like we're fighting the same. What do you mean battle? Like, yeah, explain this to me. I just, I'll, I'll take this as my therapy session. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be the only one listening back going, oh, he's got a point. I, I just feel like as a feature act, you know, if anybody could see what it's like to go around and you know, open for another comedian, you're always getting squeezed. You're like the middle class in a way. You're getting squeezed by the artist this way. You're getting squeezed by the comedy club yeah, this way. Literally, if the show starts the late, content. your time's cut, or it, every, people are just taking their seats, getting drink orders. Every single angle, you're getting screwed. And there yeah. used to be a day back in at some point when that was a good idea. For, for But what's happening now is it's gotten to such an extent where you're losing $100 just to do the thing. Yeah. And that is completely unsustainable. It's yeah. it's not even practical. I've done shows where like yeah, I did a Seattle show where I flew in. Actually no, yeah, I did an Indianapolis show where I flew in for $504 and the show paid 500 for the weekend. So I was like just happy to lose 20 cents a day to be there for the weekend. Same thing in Seattle like fly in the flight. Yeah, but that you know, that's I, I realize that most of them you profit a little bit, but some, that can happen. And and this is why it's so unpopular to say what I'm saying because at a certain point, it, it, yeah, that that's just part of the journey that you go on. Well, does it have to be, or could you just stay in Cleveland longer and make a ton of money? Right. I, like at a certain point, I'd rather just become Cleveland's best comic. I love that Cleveland's your uh, <laughs> sample. But like this guy loves Cleveland. I do. I want. I really love Cleveland. Columbus is nice too. It tells Ohio, you a lot about my comedy. Ohio, you're not from there, are you? No. no okay. <laughs> I just went once and I was oh, like, "This is amazing." Ohio's a great comedy it's, state. Go, this guy's insane. My girlfriend's from outside of Cincinnati. Yeah. She's from the uh, Kentucky side. It's like right on the river. And Cleveland's, uh, uh, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Cleveland. I don't know so much about Cleveland, but they're. <laughs> But they are. They're hot comedy towns because it's a perfect demographic. Yeah. Just like Ohio's isn't Ohio, is Ohio a swing state? It's always kind of like up in the air with like who's going to win Ohio. But it really come. It really shows that it's got a, a very uh, middle America sort of demographic of yeah. people that are that are you know willing to laugh at things on both sides. I'm not the first one to say this, but comedians are aliens. And when you go into a a, a place like Cleveland, you are an alien. Yeah, and they love it. They want to see you. They want to like poke you and touch you, and they want they want it. They're and what's like, normal to us? They're like, like Canadians. Canadians, <laughs> Canadians want to know. They're, they're just a curious, in awe type of. They're people. great audience. Yeah, and I think the East Coast is a great audience. West Coast is. I struggle with that. I love coming home. I did a show in yeah. Boston. I'm not even a Boston. I'm not a. I'm from Rhode Island, but I so I didn't come up in the Boston community. I've only done Laugh Boston, but I was doing a show there in Faneuil Hall, and just being from New England, mm. I was able to like have you know quips and and things that i wouldn't normally do especially in la but i was able to like talk to that talk to the audience as like a neighbor Mm. and when you know the audience so well it really it's like really a home field advantage to like have jokes that you know are going to hit with them because they're going to get you grew up with the same things this and that but the alternative when you travel the country and do stand up for other people you know you talk to them like hey you did you have this as a kid did you do this did your parents do this and and then like we all kind of share it's so funny how similar experiences we all share with with our generation growing up with parents who who grew up with like World War II parents, which was like insane. Like your parents are still together. Do they do they pass on any any of the parenting to you that you know were they strict? Were they yeah. uh, able to communicate to you? Like, did you ever even get the birds and the bees talk? <laughs> I I 
I didn't. No, my I mom, didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't at all. I think that I think that they saw that I was going to learn anyway. They I think s- I think our parents actually are worse are we're worse than them in this way but i think that they were just overwhelmed by so much and i think now we are like we can't even handle the data i woke up this morning i had a hundred facebook messages it's like you know you wake up and there's just so much data coming at you that i can't I, i would say it's not my comedy career that's affecting my relationships it's the internet i just there's and you have to be able much. to police yourself because if sure. geez, if you get on Reddit, you can go all night. If, if sure. I, 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 yep. people know who listen to this. January first, I made a decision not to sleep with my cell phone. Yep. It doesn't come into bed with me. It just yep. doesn't because that's an hour of my life a day that I could spend getting absorbed. Yep. And you yep. could argue more sometimes. Yeah, a lot of my comedy is really about the idea that we right now as a society are are talking so much about money, 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 when in reality people are taking advantage of our time. Yeah. And when they control your time and how you spend it, they control you. And I, in my comedy and my life right now, am trying to get back in touch with controlling my time. And a lot of people would, when I was running the Lantern, people, I think were worried about my life. They were like, oh, this man's insane. Because of all the time it took to run it? I I would say I was spending about 40 hours a week barking on the street, uh, sometimes uh, 30. Yeah. Um, You know, I think, you know, then while teaching, teaching classes, I teach teach acting class to make my living. But, you know, because the lantern didn't really pay. So but the the issue is, is that you, you know, we would do like a donation bucket. Right. So and I recommend that to any comic who runs free comedy shows. Always pass around a bucket. Always let the audience know you are worth a bucket. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) They can can decide what they what they want to do with it. For sure. You'd be surprised how easy someone can throw a 20 in if they had a good time. Yep. It's cheaper than therapy to laugh a little bit. It It really is. Hell yeah, of course. Now, so have you had any relationships while doing stand up? Like, are you in rent? You're 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 single. Uh, no, I I just started a relationship. Oh, it's fresh. So yeah, it's it's fresh. it's in it's in that optimistic. Uh, yeah, everything's perfect. Yeah, she doesn't use the bathroom. Yeah, type of place. It's, it's pretty optimistic. Uh, we had been seeing each other on and off for about two years, and then and then it finally became an official. It's getting there. Yeah, it's, it's there. getting there. It's there. It's there. It's what official. Made, what made yeah. it? Um, but we we have to now. I think we're trying to learn about each other in this new way. Because New York's tough. She's in New York, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. She's, in a, she's a wonderful actress. Oh, so great. So she's a wonderful actress. I'm a comedian, so we're both dreamers, and it's impossible. And yeah. so we have to learn how to actually uh, be a couple and support each other and be there for each other. Can you, like, like so you guys can relate to each other in a way where a yes. lot of, like, there's just a lot of variables in life. We can totally relate to each other. I think the the thing that we're trying to do now is I think we relate on the sort of like overwhelmed by the data thing. Mm-hmm. So part of what our relationship is built on is just sitting together. That's amazing. To just being together. That's Ex- a big like, thing like, for us. Explain that. So you, you sure. literally mean just putting, we call it de- a device free time, which we don't do enough of. But No, you, I'm you not mean, saying that at all. But you mean no, like. No, I'm saying proximity. Proximity. I'm saying whatever we're doing actually embracing that we are going to be physically close to each other so in the, mo- in the moment yeah so if i'm messaging on facebook and if she is uh, uh filing and she's applying for gigs on craigslist and and uh and 
backstage or whatever, we're actually in the same room doing that together. Interesting. And then what we try to do or what we're going to try to do is like share like little comments in between <laughs> almost. Yeah. So like just to support like, like a study buddy. Yeah. Yeah. That was the way to meet girls back in the day. It was anyway. Do you study with me? Absolutely. <laughs> the whole yeah. time you're like, oh sure. boy, what do I say? <laughs> I don't want dumb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think what, what, what I think our generation is dealing with and maybe what Trump is sort of refreshing in this way to call him refreshing is I know insane, but he's, he really has no shame. And I think one of the things I battle with is I have so much shame and guilt and I have such an ego. And I think that one thing that I really, you know, love about my girlfriend is that she's one of those rare people where I want to share everything I'm shameful about. Interesting. I want her to know the deepest, darkest, most ridiculous things about me. Do you cut, do you, and I think she gets turned on by them. So that's important. Yeah, they, they are. No, it's good. It's I, and I, think, I think most people get turned on by that. That thing that scares you. Like I would say whatever that thing is, that's like too far. Tell her. Yeah, <laughs> I think normally she's going to be like, I'm in. Let's try. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, uh, you know, I actually grew up with the advice from this guy I worked with. He's actually having a kid now, which is insane. But he was a lot older, older than me. So I worked for my stepdad like in a blue collar heating and air conditioning job in the summer times. Wow. Nice. So I would be in a van with this dude, literally like the white van, you know, it's full of where it's, you know, equipment and we're going in these hot attics, installing things. And he literally was the most influential with teaching me how to just talk to women. Mm. And he would say, he would see this thing and I'm not a freak. I'm really kind of boring. Yeah. Me, uh, me as far as like it all goes, I'm pretty boring. But um, he was like, look, you never know what a girl will do unless you ask. And, and it's a very polite way, and, and, and a lot of people are like afraid to talk to their girlfriend or even a girl like if you met at the bar because they don't want to come off disrespectful. They don't want to – there's a line between verbally assaulting or, or manipulating someone and then just being like, this is what I'm into. Are we on the same page? And knowing when it's okay to push those buttons. One thing that New York has taught me, and there's a reason why you say living in New York, it's hard to date because it forces you into conversation. So much of our other, I think the rest of the world is living in a bubble right now. And in New York, I'm meeting people from around the world, and I'm in conversations with real people every day, you have to everywhere be. I go. The, the, you're, you're in the, I'm in a sushi <laughs> restaurant last night, and there's six tables. It's a tiny place, and you got to talk to someone. Hey, are you leaving? You're going to be, okay, well, hey, take your time. I want to be over here. Okay, nice. Today I shared, I had a bagel at, at Zucker's or whatever, and there was no table, so I sat next to a older lady as she was reading something. And it was like, oh, this is pleasant. I'm like, you know, making and friends without even needing to. I think I think anxiety is just a constant nowadays. It's just everyone feels it. It's just a part of the normal. Maybe we weren't aware we felt it before, and now we're aware of it, so it's just worse. Oh, you can't answer a phone call anymore. You can't. The, the, <laughs> Why are you calling me? The, what do you need? <laughs> the, the, the thing that I figured out is that, and I'm not, you know, everyone not, probably knows this, but, uh, but I think that girls are as afraid of you as you are of them, it, they, 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 and they have the same messed up problems that you have. If you, I used to put women on a pedestal so often, and it was such a turnoff. And it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting them. And you're right, I'm not manipulating them. But of course, it, but not. if, but if you can just treat them the way that you're treating, that you treat yourself, or the way that, because a lot of times, even if you go like, oh my god, I can't go talk to her. Oh, this is just ridiculous. I shouldn't. You talk yourself out of it. She's having the same thoughts. She's just like you. 
Yeah. yeah she has like a lot of differences in her, you know, sure. But like in certain ways, she's just as human and just as. And we have these, we have, yeah, we have these fears. Like, like, like uh, if, you, if you're in a bar and a girl smiles at you, uh, you know, maybe she just smiled and like turned and caught your eyes accidentally. Yeah. Or maybe she's saying, hey, come, come say hi to me. We'll decide after that if we're going to continue. But at least, like, let's get that opening spark. And too many guys are like, oh, she's a happy person. What are you doing? She's just happy. And maybe she is. Yeah. So if she is a happy person, why wouldn't she want to talk to you? You're a happy guy. Yeah. Be, a, be a happy guy. And then don't make it so, like, forceful. And if part of the other the other joke that I'm working on or trying to write about is that a lot of I think a lot of guys are just so much more addicted to porn than they think they are. Or, mm. And, and I'm, I think we always were as a society because, you know, you got you to gotta masturbate. But I, th- I think what happens is a lot of people, they, they are watching so much porn that when they see a girl, they think sex immediately or something. They're like almost cute to do it. And the girl picks up on that. What I'm trying to work on in myself is just if I talk to a girl at a bar, let's actually talk about their napkins. Let's talk about... Uh, something that I worked on that day, like maybe the the idea that my I got a new briefcase and it's dope. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me feel good about myself. And she's wondering more about you because yeah, you're just living in the moment. Well, what's this guy doing you know, that got him here? But I think you know, you wake up in the morning, you jerk off, you know, then you then at, at, <laughs> on lunch you you watch more porn. Sorry if I'm revealing too much, but it I sounded think, like you said you jerk off on to lunch. Yeah, <laughs> you jerk off on lunch. <laughs> you get your proteins. You don't realize how much porn you're watching sometimes, and you don't realize the effect it has on your brain. Yeah. I don't think. Porn is bad. I just think that it's it's it is having an effect on you. Interesting. And, and I think it's keeping you from talking about things that are genuinely interesting to most people, like these. I have amazing uh, little lunch uh, tables that fold up and down, and they're by my couch, and they save me a lot of time, and they make me comfortable. I, I, that's a boring thing, but she might have the same lunch tables. Yeah. And now you're talking about shopping for lunch tables. And passion's not boring. You it could literally not. give me give me something to talk about. I'm gonna go into that bar and bring it up and talk. You know what I mean? Like you could literally. Yeah. And it's not about the subject. And and, and it's then, about you, the, yeah. the focus, and like just the you're just you're just using an example of something. And you, you know, you could walk in any bar in New York and be like, "Yeah, can you imagine this place was built in 1834? Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just start painting a picture of where you are. And, and you're you gonna just, live such a more fulfilled life because she and we're so lucky to be growing up nowadays because, uh, you know, we. You know, women not only are they, uh, you know, they're the head of NBC sometimes now. Yeah. They, they could be moving up the chain at NBC or ABC or CBS. So if you're just only worried about, you know, sex, you're missing half the population of employers or half the population of business people who can, you know, you get into a conversation about the, the building in 1834, she might look at you and say, oh, my God, I saw you. She might realize, and then she might say, okay, well, you should come and do this thing for yeah. Elite Daily because I write for them, and I would love to. And now, The point is is that you just never know who you're talking to and just if you can not put pressure on the conversation. Yeah. It would work in interviews. It would work oh. auditions, uh, dating, all that. But, yeah, it's we, we we have a hard time, as men, you're right, with, with over-sexualizing everything because we do. You walk down the street and you go, holy shit. shit. I mean, in New York, L.A. is a beautiful place too, but in New York you just, it's... you know, I, w- I was walking, having a coffee, just walking, just walking down the street, and I ended up in the same stride about nine feet behind some chick, and her ass was just... 
yeah. bouncing in the same way every, and I'm just watching it like, and I'm not like a creep. I'm just in the flow, in the vein of traffic. And the, guys think like that. Like, have you been watching? The, do you? I'm everyone's seen. Have you seen all these Scientology documentaries? that oh, have yeah. been coming out. I've been watching them. I watched some of them three or four times. You want to get I'm, in? I got you. I got a sign up fee. So interested. <laughs> One thing that I, I I sort of think that they're doing, which I I think it's just it's the reason it's so successful, is because they're making people look at each other for an extended amount of time, yeah. and it, it, it gives you a connection. Right now, yeah, you, know, you and me have been working together for two and a half years. I've never talked to you for this long. Right. Ever. Oh, this is my... And, and we're using this. You know what's hilarious? We are talking and we're already trying to use this talk for purposes. Like that's the new age that we live in is that, you know, finally you and me are looking at each other and it's to an end. Yeah. You know, when was the last time that you and me just looked at each other? And, and just, it, there's all fleeting moments. Sure. And the podcast it has been a absolute gift for me to sit down and not look at my phone and get to know somebody. And Scientology has this ability, which I'm, I'm, it sounds like I'm selling it, but, but, <laughs> but, but I, I, this is what they're selling, is that you can go into a room with a real person and tell them everything. And I'm sorry, but that nowadays, healthcare doesn't even cover that. Sure. There are so, aspects of Scientology that make perfect sense, and, and it relates to so many other right. si, si, um, yeah. uh, so, sociological aspects of the world. And, and it's just that they... Once you're in, they have they're shady. But yeah, yeah that, that's right. You can walk into a room, light it up, and yeah. that's a real thing that you can't see. But that energy is there. It weighs you know, something. It's so funny. Well, everybody. I think the older generation of comedians used to make fun of religion, which is important. But I think the newest, biggest threat is cults. I think cults are that's where it's going. I think that, what could you imagine? I mean, you, the Mormons already have Utah. Could you imagine if every single state had a different cult? Yeah. We wouldn't have the United States. It'd New York's be, got CrossFit. You know? <laughs> okay. No, but because... Because people have lost religion, they, yeah. they, they join they join cults and they come in different forms. And there's nothing wrong with CrossFit, but like there's every but like everyone has something that they're a part of. We're lucky enough to have the comedy scene, and a lot of people, uh, all they have is happy hour after work, mm. or they only have yeah. certain things. And if it's just a yoga class or something that's beneficial to you, it's good to feel like you're part of a tribe. And yeah. and it's tough in today's world. There's a million different tribes to belong to, but it's important to just trust yourself and do something that's enriching which you know yes, stand sta up can be it can be bad in the sense that it my own fears have stripped away my ability to to make friends a lot of times i'll be at open mics or at a show and i'll just scroll through my phone because um i don't want to be present because i don't know the people that well and yes. it's like I, sh I need to be I, i'm year i'm years into this i need to be still meeting people and yes. for no other reason other than just like that like that's better than the alternative of looking online and seeing other people's success stories. Like yeah. I'm living in it. These are the hours I've dedicated to this craft. Why am I not just really on board? And that's something I struggle with and I have to remind myself to go in there with an open mind. This New York trip for me, I'm like, I'm honestly like, I don't know why I'm here. I haven't made specific plans, but I'm excited to find out why afterwards, and I still don't know. I'm here another day. Could I but, tell you why I think it is? Sure. I, I think it's because for how young you are, you are such a professional comedian. I mean, I, you're one of the most professional people I know. So it's Thank like, you. So it's like as a professional, I'm sure that you're hungering for something that maybe isn't as – you just want an experience, a vacation, to meet people, to talk. I mean, yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a, a lot of 30-somethings and late 20-something comedians and artists who I meet 
running a venue where it's like they are freaking out, but they're already where they want to be. Right. They are. They already are there. They already. If if you only knew how many people in Boston and Tennessee and New York City wish that they could be doing the things you're doing. Yeah. And meeting the people that you've met already in your life. And yeah. I, I think too many artists right now, especially in that like older brother of the millennial realm. Yeah. They are feeling. You're, so y- you're much younger than me, right? By two years. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. So I'm, I'm. So I'm. Yeah. I'm 1985. Right. I think millennials started in 83. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're old millennials. And if you are an older millennial, I think you are just so freaked out and freaking out. And it's like, you you really have to just relax and 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 look at a lot of the things that you've already done, and and realize that they're, not that you're just telling yourself they're cool. They they are. We 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 have swallowed a lot of debt. An economic recession that's the worst since the Great right Depression. Right out of college. Right out of college. Boom. We did that. Welcome. And Fired. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so don't tell me that me and my generation are just total wastes. Like, we've had to deal with a lot of crap. Yeah. And we're going to fix it. We're, we are. And, sure. And the, thank God for the ones below us because they actually know how to use the phone. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they know how to do it. They can actually make a they phone They can actually call. do it. Yeah. So that's cool, too. It's interesting. Um, what, I've, what I've kind of learned is that what I meant by that is that they can use they can use the technology of the phone yeah. in a way that I can't. Right. I, I'm I, I'm but like the behind beauty, it. The beauty of stand up itself is that like you could have we could have a disaster, a real disaster, and who's going to be by the campfire telling jokes? Like that's what we are. Not to not to over not to make it you know whatever. I'd probably sound like a huge douche, but like I don't what think so we at all. have can you know? Okay, I'm doing a black box theater. All right, the uh, microphone doesn't work. Fuck it. <laughs> like let's yeah. go uh, you know I, what i mean I think, you ever have a show where the mic's not working like you know i'm just gonna talk to you guys right now we're gonna make this work and there's yep. no bells and whistles there's no rock band there's like hey where are you from it's <laughs> just i think comedians are filling an incredible void right now there there is a void for lectures you know ted talk has tried but it doesn't really fill it podcasts we're filling, do we're not filling a void for uh for uh, events town hall you're seeing that come back now. I think comedians are on the forefront of what it's like to go in front of a group of people and orally uh, communicate. Right. And, and it's a crazy what suffocates some people with public speaking because, sure. um, you know, I, 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 I had a guy come to a show the other day and he's really bad at public speaking and he told me and um and he was like you know i just i can't talk to girls and it suffocates him and and my whole thing was actually a few people have written in about this how do you just talk to people and the key is first of all you have to not give a shit you have to learn how to not give a shit you have to fail so many times that you can talk to a girl who's way out of your league and not try to have anything come of it just be you and unfortunately most guys I've always said this: if a girl rejects you, it, it, it's because she's rejecting rejecting who you're presenting to be, not you. She mm. doesn't know you that well. When a girl dumps you after a while, she's rejecting you. <laughs> it didn't work out. But uh, but on the pickup and the the initial conversation, if you're being too too insecure by bragging so much or whatever, if you're not being that quietly confident ver- uh, uh, version that you can be in front of your friends, she's probably going to see right through it because women are literally built to see through bullshit because they only want, they need to meet the guy who is going to be a provider and a part of their life genetically. So even if it's just someone you meet on vacation, they still want to see a guy who looks uh, genuine and authentic. And a lot of guys that meet girls, they 
they're so worried about uh, turning the right way and doing the right thing that they look like a complete idiot. Mm. And that's and that's something that you know I don't know how to te- teach people to do that. But like with stand up, you can tell a young comic because their voice is uh, frail, their mannerisms are insecure, and you can see right through that. And then you can give a ten year comic vet the same the same material and he's going to be fluid or she and they're just going to be this this presence that um, that that the audience goes that's that person knows what they're talking about yeah that person is confident um they don't have to be cocky but there's just something there that with comedy it relates back to dating and it relates back to conversations with strangers and interviews and it's a powerful technique that you don't you don't need to build it um for any reason other than this is life. You need to communicate with other people. Some people yeah. are better at it than others. What's your strength? Enlarge it and try to just suffocate whatever the weakness is. The, the, the one thing that I would say about sort of older, it's so weird running a venue because a lot of you hang out with a lot of older comedians and it's a strange position to be in as a young person because what happens is, is you respect them so much and yet you can't book them. Right. And a lot of people don't think about that. You that, mean that you can't the book gatekeeper them. only has a certain amount of spots. So you're talking to somebody who is 45 years old, who you are pretty sure is the best thing you've ever met in your life because he raised a kid after having a drug addiction, only doing stand-up comedy. And so you're like, okay, this guy is a superhero right. to me. And yet... You can't book him because there's younger comics who've taken the spots. You might be able to book him once a month, once every three months, but like in order for the seats to. So what I think older comics and you know older comics have given me so much. I mean everything in my career is from them. Yeah. But the one thing that I would give them back is that every single person on the planet Earth can and should try to do five minutes of stand-up comedy. Really. Yes, and I think that the more that we try to treat this like it is uh, sort of a secret, the more we are doing ourselves a disservice, and the more that honestly, older comics are hurting themselves because I think yeah, that comics get stuck. We we, I, we get into that walled little fort yeah. that we wanted to be in in the first place. You go, oh, you can't. You know, you're just an actor trying stand up. You can't do this. You know, like Greg no, Giraldo was, no, was a lawyer. There is no bigger mistake that you could make. Because, sure, that actor, comedian, he might only have five minutes. But if you just have a little more confidence in yourself and get booked on his show, yeah, <laughs> everybody will leave the theater, including that actor, and go, A, I have a lot of work to do if I really like this. B, that guy's awesome and I want to hang out with him. And C, he'll appreciate that you did the show. Yeah. And I think that rather than seeing somebody as a threat to you, you should see them as an ally in the fight. Yes, and that's very that's a great that's great advice no matter where people are and that's a hard one. It's hard. I know with Tasha in the modeling industry, it's it's very commonplace. The same exact thing in the modeling industry. It's very so similar to we're seeing it in so many different forms. And my whole thing has always been it's the same with college graduates. Yeah, you're looking you're looking at the person next to you as a as a as a threat to you. Whereas like, your peers are are your best networking tool, hundred percent. They're going through exactly what you're. And going the more through. you try to hoard all the nuts, yes, the it's the the more you're willing to give, the more it will come back to you. And you've you've been lucky enough to see that with 
stand up by by hosting shows, producing shows, yeah. and that's something that's really important. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love with the podcast is I can have people on. They can talk about what they're doing in their life. They can share wisdom, and it's a symbiotic relationship. And they're I, able to get I, yeah. thousands of people listen to them that would have never before, and they can say, "Oh fuck, Craig's Craig's got a lot going on." You know, maybe we'll check him out when he's going through uh, Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I just had a uh, I just had a life changing event because I went to go see Trevor Noah live for the first time. Oh, cool. Not stand up, but the Daily Show. Oh, nice. And I had my judgments about the show because obviously I grew up with John Stewart. He's like a dad, right? So I, of course, was just riddled with uh, opinions. Mm-hmm. Seeing Trevor live completely changed my life, and I hope one day I could tell him to his face because he. I, I think I I understood because of I was a hundred thousand dollars in college debt. I understood at an early point how giving was actually in my best interest when you're that far in debt, how it's counterintuitive, but it's probably better because you think I have to hold and take and cling. You know, Jay Cole says, beware of any man who clings. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I got I to gotta cling. No, yeah. no, I don't. But I think as a stand-up and a performer, I was still clinging. And when I saw Trevor live, he is such a giving performer. He is such a giving person. And he, it's so effortless for him. He has such a sense of awe and joy and wonder in what he does. I think he's a genius. And um, he would do this thing where in between the show, he would do like, he, I think he did like 10 minutes of stand-up comedy. I think he like messed up a line or something. And then he just stood up and he just murdered for 10 minutes. Really? <laughs> That's amazing. And then he just sat back down and killed killed that. Because, yeah, he's not... So while, during in between the taping, he, t- he took yeah. a second to do some stand-up? What, and- what I liked about watching him is, is it's not his show. It's not his show. It's John Stewart's show, in my opinion. But but what he does is he... It's, 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 not, his, it's not his car. I'm sorry. It's not his car. It's John Stewart's car. But he drives the shit out of that car. <laughs> I mean, he is exquisite in the way he handles it. And I, I can't think he's from another country. South he's, African, for those who don't know. He's, he's the only about. black comedian on late night television that runs a show. That right. runs a show. It's his show. The, big, the biggest uh, show to maybe overtake since Letterman, or probably equally. And in my opinion, watching him do all that so, so coolly, so calmly. And just kill it. We love these outsiders, just it's like just, John Oliver. Oh. We need some outsiders to call us out on our shit. We do because we, I mean, we look can at do it. We, we successful can... shows right now. It's Samantha B, John Oliver, and Trevor, and yeah, and they're all outsiders. Where's Samantha B from? Uh, she she's a woman. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, she's not from here. But you're right. What I you're mean absolutely, by that is that she's right. the only woman on late night television. And it's it's so it's like these voices, and this is why running the Lantern. I was so passionate about working with women because everyone's like, this is a real story. Booking the Lantern, I had. Uh, about 60 young white comics come up to me, men, and say, why do you only book women? <laughs> this is real. This is real. Why do you only book women? Now, at the Lantern, it's only 17 men and 17 women. In fact, men do more spots because the women cancel more. I did the math. And the women probably cancel more because I have they're idea why. in I'm, demand. I'm, I'm, I'm making a joke. but, but, but <laughs> I mean, not making a joke. It happens. But anyway, so 60% of the spots go to the men. And yet, because it's 50-50, it had the perception that I only work with women. Yeah. 
And I would say and so. So that's some, that's another thing. Like you know, Bill it's Burr a limiting wants, factor that sure. they're saying they're making excuses sure. as to why they're not getting up more stage time. Bill Burr wants to talk about being undeniable, and he's so right. Obviously, that's the that's point is correct. The issue is, is that when you're a young woman coming up in this scene, the sexual harassment is just so appalling that okay, let's say that you're not uh, okay. Let's say that you you you're not. Um, you can handle it and you're a, a tough chick and you're going to fight through it and you did so did so did Wendy Starling and Corinne Fisher and they don't give a fuck fuck yeah like yeah, you fight that's through that's the it. that's the optimum scenario fuck yeah but let me tell you this what happens if you're like a what happens if you're a a, a, a sort of a in your head quiet shy weirdo even like a Tignataro Someone who's like, like brilliant and she's way past that that stage, sure. but she's a name. That but you let's can, say like maybe she's seventeen, eighteen, just nineteen trying, years old. Not a high energy, not, loud. And then let's say that she has a horrible experience at an open mic, and let's say that she can't take it because who should? Yeah. Now, as a generation, as a people, we are losing a comedic voice. We're losing something. Who because, really could make a difference? You know, could you imagine if Mitch Hedberg had had to deal with that? Yeah. You know, he might have, he might have, he might not have made it through, or and, or, and then, or be or be stuck in some area of the world where they're safe and no one's. And then we're them. we're losing someone who sheds light on things. Yeah. We're losing someone who opens our mind and who makes us rethink things. And this is a huge issue for our culture. It's tough. Every every voice needs representation. Yeah. And what's it, tough it's is not dem, it's not Democratic or Republican too. We got to get away from that. It's just it's just it's just good business. Yeah. I, I, I you know who I love and everyone's gonna hate me. I love Mitt Romney. I wish I sometimes part of me, especially now that Trump's president, part of me wishes he had won. Can you imagine? I really do. I, I honestly wish Romney had won. Knowing what I know now, if I could have seen the future, I would have voted for Romney because I would have rather he be president. My thing is like, I think he's a good, we have worst case scenario. And I think what it will do is end up purging. Like if they can't figure this shit out with him, it's, I mean, I think failure, not like the world needs to end, but failure, like, like this has to go as bad as it can go for some good to come out of it. Almost like just really decimate this thing they're trying to do and wait for some flowers to come out of the rubble. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just think it's good business. It's, it's just good business to be, to promote uh, women in the workplace. It's, it's just, it's just a good thing for our economy. And that's a, that's, I'm not saying that's a minority view. That's probably more people than not feel that way. Um, the people, the people that still live in the fear are the ones who make the news because they're still like, it's a very old mentality, but yeah, you're right. There's two ways to look at a, a, a strong woman. Like take my girlfriend, right? Uh, uh, She's yeah, she's a she's a loud, stubborn, yeah. strong woman who won't listen to anything I say unless I can inception it into her brain when but she's like, sleeping. But, like but I love her for it. I love her strength, and, and I love that she's not a pushover. And even look how we even look how we label that. Like, oh, she's loud and stubborn. It's like so are we. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I heard you say that. I was like, I'm the most stubborn maniac yeah. alive. It has to be my way. Yeah. So I'm allowed to live like that. But if a woman's loud and stubborn, I just get to call her loud and stubborn. Yeah. If I were her, I'd be pissed that I'm even. No, no offense. To... No, no, no. She... Tasha, you're amazing. I'm... <laughs> but 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 you. That's the point of it. I think that I do. The but same imagine thing. if I had written her off because of that. Sure. I I, sure. I don't mean I deal with it. I live with I it, and we st- we we butt heads, and then after we butt heads, we go that hurt. Let's figure it out, and we're both 
stubborn and then we 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 sort of chip our way to to the to the middle ground but imagine if someone if you're just like oh geez what a fucking no yeah. Ugh, they don't they don't agree and with me it's like then maybe maybe you guys aren't involving because you're just looking for too much of what's what blows my mind my, my girlfriend is, uh had talks to me about how like a lot of other women are uh, sort of like um intimidated by her or like they get mad at her or they they don't like they, it's almost like she they judge her because of her looks or i think because of swagger she, she's got a swag to her good yeah. and I, I think that what happens is is you have to learn how like to not judge that like that swag that's the thing that gets you it's and let the, them feel whatever insecurities yeah, they feel because yeah. of it and yeah we're, we're, it's we tough. as a society are also responsible for that though because we are judging that swag we as and men are responsible for for really and you're doing a great job by 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 being the gatekeeper on stage and letting them be who they need to be but like and they're in a relationship it, yeah. is about being a voice and being like go honey go fucking get it and this is the other thing about history which is such a fallacy right is that like is like that i could say like oh i'm the gatekeeper so i'm doing something it's like really they're doing it themselves you know a lot of times the oppressed are the ones who rise up i mean yeah there might be a, some keeper who like opens the door but you know i mean in, in the civil war the slaves walked off the plantation the slaves left that's what nobody realizes is a great book that i just read that you know by james oaks who's an incredible historian and he just talks about he's like 25 percent of the slaves left you know yeah we won the war but the this they didn't stay on the yeah they just got out right and when you give people the chance they do it themselves that's the most republican thing you could ever say and that's the other thing about democrats is like <laughs> you, you got to start to get in touch with that again like if you want to win elections you, yeah. yeah, yeah, we need moderate Republicans. I get that. But the Democrats also have to get in touch with the idea that you like, you're a Hippocratic piece of shit. Like, you like to do it yourself. You like the idea of Milton Friedman. Yeah, it might not work, but you like the idea of it. Right. And you have, you, you know, it's, it's a part of America, I think, and this is part of the kind of clown I'm trying to be, is try to call everybody on their shit. Absolutely. Because you like you like the idea that you did it yourself. Oh, it's dangerous. You the love the, the ultra liberal um thing that can't even hear a Republican side. Like oh, like like what I love like having me. having pretty you know I grew up I'm whole family's concerned. My whole family voted for Trump. Very, my whole family. Same here. And I, I, I cannot stand the ultra the ultra ultra. I it, it there's a there there needs to be a conversation in the middle and what you know what we're what we're learning is that um, algorithms are created on our Facebook and are on our iPhones that'll just feed us the things we want to see. And it's news that's like, I'll just regurgitate what I'm hearing. You regurgitate what you're hearing and we'll just never see eye to eye. Right. And, um, and there's gotta be a middle ground in what you're doing with comedy is a huge start. Um, we are already at an hour. We're, we're not, we're not done yet, but, um, I want to make sure we talk about this tour that you're going on. Thanks. So how does it, is it, how does this even come about? So, I, I always knew I wanted to do something like it. Uh, it. I'm not the only one who's ever done it. Doug Stanhope ran his whole career like this. So you're I, saying in a do-it-yourself for sure. So I'm not interested in in unless they're interested in me. I'm not interested in venues that are particular to comedy. If they, they want to book me and they talk to my manager, I'll go. But that's not how I think about my career. I don't think about it like I need to be at comedy clubs. You just need a place where people can I probably need a place sit down. Where people can sit if they have to stand. That's we'll, okay. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Lean against the back wall. <laughs> Outdoors, indoors, rooftop, basement, right? right. Uh, living room, yeah. yard. And I'm not in a rush to do stand up in the sense of like, 
you know, I might not be the fun, you know, the funniest guy yet because I got a lot of work to do. What's but, your magic? What would be your magical space if you could book a room that traveled with you? Yeah. What would it be, look like? How sure. many seats? It what kind of environment? Hundred people. Hundred seater. Low ceiling, closed in. One or two waitresses. Uh, so maybe fifty to a hundred, but a hundred for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there would be a raised stage with a uh, with a microphone and a stool. <laughs> And then I would be able for an hour to an hour and 10 minutes, make the audience laugh as hard as I possibly can. They would pay me, uh, hopefully $20 a person. Uh, and in which case that would be great if they, if that's an issue, we can talk about that. Sure. And then, or they could not come because it's not worth that. And then I, they would have drinks that were anywhere from two to $7 and they would get uh, wasted. They would get intoxicated. <laughs> I love how specific sure. you are because it's yeah. so important to it's not have so a thirteen dollar daiquiri. <laughs> right. Because what happens is I say all this information, and then bar owners hear it, and they go, "Well, oh, maybe we can squeeze in an extra three fifty for this." Yeah, because you're covering so, them on the other nights. They're yeah. trying to squeeze out more on your successful night. And, and all of my ideas are coming from Doug Stanhope and Louis C.K. And what they did, and the generation before me Louis did Louis C.K. is brilliant. What they did is they controlled the distribution of their product. And if you're not in the business as an artist of controlling your distribution, you are going to get taken advantage of. This is where of. musicians have, field, uh, have failed with label heads. They're making like 18 cents on the dollar. You have so if you sell to. a million albums, right. after management, uh, all the costs, you're only making money touring. Yeah, you're not, so and, and then Louis C.K. goes and drops his album for five bucks. And not 100% of it goes back to, back to him. So, right. And, and uh, you know, it's just like everything else. It's a pyramid scheme. And so you got to figure out how to uh, skip the whole scheme. So how has that been going for you? What's the process, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, I'll share it. So the first process is, is that I call bars and venues around the country that I am pretty positive are not full every day. And I ask them what their worst night is. Unless I know them, most of the bars that I'm working with currently, I already have a relationship with because mm-hmm. I developed it over the last eight years. But when I call a new venue, I say, "What's your worst night? What you know? What's it like? Is it empty? And if the bar is empty, and if at least some of my requirements that I mentioned earlier are met, then I will book the room. I keep the door because because I'm putting on a show, so I'd like to be compensated for the show that I'm putting on. They keep the drinks because they're a bar, and that's their job is to get people drunk. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then that's good. And then I think I try to sleep at night knowing that if only 40 people come, I put on the best possible show for those 40 people. I don't think about being at the comedy hip hop comedy, the comedy, uh, the comedy hop or the comedy stop or the comedy drop. Or I don't think about because those places will just have free tickets to people. We'll give away free tickets and then people come and see you for free and they sit in the front row with their feet up on the stage on a cheap date. Well, and, 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 and I understand that because a lot of comics don't have the ability, which I've been blessed with because I have an amazing father who's a great businessman. And I've been I've been blessed with the ability to kind of con- try to control the distribution. A lot of comics don't even that's the last thing that they should be thinking about. They should just be thinking about getting funny. Right. And I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm sorry that I have this sort of need to want to control the distribution. 
so but, I really, but you can still be funny and you can be a smart businessman and that's yes. a tool that you have and, and i and here's what i would say to any comic out there is that if you start doing this work now it will pay off 10 years from now absolutely it because, because it's not going anywhere it's almost like the internet right now i think anybody who's got their stuff on youtube should take it down immediately because i think that all of your work if you can control where it is you will own it yeah but what's happening right now is everybody's in such a rush. They're giving away rush everything. Rush to give it away. Stop. I'll There's do... a website called Patreon, patreon.com. Oh, yeah. Go on there. Put it there. I've considered if that. If no one and... buys it, fine. At least you own it. Yeah, I've considered that with this podcast because we were releasing up to two episodes a week. And I was thinking maybe that second episode goes behind a paywall. But um, it's something I haven't pulled the trigger on, but I'm aware of it. And I was thinking also maybe doing, um, you know, you can do other things with Patreon, whether it's be blogging or photos. The reason why you don't want to put it out there is because there's still that hint of a lottery system. There's still that chance that I could, I could hit. This could get shared. And that's a great thing. But in my opinion, you are better off in the long run. It's just good business. It's good math to just keep it somewhere. And... Uh, I agree with you. It's a, it's such a scare, scarcity mentality we have that's like, no, but I just, if I could, you know, and then we do TV shows where like they don't pay you, or like these non-union stand-up shows that they right. have, like Laughs on Fox, I have no problem saying their name. Like, I don't, maybe they pay you a few bucks, maybe they don't, but you just burning a set. You're doing it on late night syndicated TV yep. and, you're, and, and they're saying, well, you're going to get uh, recognized from it and maybe you will, maybe you won't. But yeah, there's being in control of the business side of your and, own and, art. And, and, and here's the other thing that I think we also got to be careful of in our, in our business is not demonizing the, cause I, I'm like you, I, I, I used to, I used to, I'll be honest with like Dave is, I used to rip on laughs so hard with every single person that I talked to. And I talked to one of my really good friends who did laughs and he opened me up to the idea that it's a good thing. And then I, I did some soul searching and what I discovered is that that's what they're doing. And that's what the comedians who do that are doing. And that is good for them. Yeah, they made that decision. And I'm going to let them do that. And I'm going to say, good for you. I am going to sell my version of crazy. Yeah. My version of crazy is, yes, I am taking a risk that no one will ever know who I am and that I'll just do bar shows until I die at a nursing home. (laughs) I'm taking that risk. A nursing home that's got 100 seats, $2 (laughs) drinks. (laughs) How about that nursing home? Me and you will kill it. Oh, my God. They're like, not this guy again. I live here. (laughs) Nice teeth. (laughs) Hey, I'll do a nursing home. Yeah. Yeah, but you're taking a risk. And, um, you know, the mantra we we keep sharing is leap in the net will appear. And um, it's important at, at a point when you feel comfortable sharing what you do to take it out there. Yeah. Uh, my my issue with LA is I just I don't know if I'm harvesting enough material, and that's something I, I thought like yesterday. I was like I need ten new minutes and I need to do it now. I got a show that, this weekend yeah. that like after that show I don't have too much on the horizon. Well, like, that's the other reason why I travel, and that's the other reason why I'm in this point in my career. I'm definitely traveling and trying to control it the way I am is because I'm only going to write new material if I have a personal life and if I travel. Yeah, and and so I think that what what you got to do or what I'm trying to do myself is just actually go in front of different audiences on my own terms. And then this way I have the confidence to try new stuff. And I'm also in a new location to try new stuff. Yeah. And then if I try the old stuff, I don't have so much guilt. It's that guilt. It's that's the thing that kills of, you. As of, an artist. Of overdoing the old stuff. Yeah, It kills you because then, then you have those really good fans 
those ones who really believe in you and you also have said some truth to them that maybe it helped their relationship or it helped them in their personal life or they think about your joke in the shower and it, it starts off their day. Yeah. And that's a fan. That's somebody who actually believes in you and they came out and they heard the same material. Yeah. And yeah. so and so now it's bad business because now what you're doing is you're like so so that's why it's also imperative when you get to a certain point that you you know you put yourself in situations where you can really try that new new stuff yeah. that's not good. Yeah, that's why like I love shows that I host because I can just go talk to the audience and it's not that expectation to just crush. That's what the problem. That's LA. why I say the monthly in Cleveland. Yeah, the monthly in Cleveland. We'll both be there you run, you next run month. Thirty minutes on that thing. <laughs> yeah, and you well, do all new stuff. LA's got this thing. I mean, I mean, I know New York has it too, but LA is such a showcase city where they want every comic. Every comic feels like they have to kill. Where I've seen. Yeah. Very, very well-known headliners just recite the same joke over and over. And, and I saw one guy who I, I love him so much, and he's a New York comic, and I've seen him on several late-night shows. And I was, at a, I was at a Mexican restaurant show, which is a good show in L.A. on Mondays, and he was doing like his hit joke from like seven years ago. Yeah, And I'm thinking, well, well kind of, yeah. I'm just thinking, all right, well, he's got a crush because he's probably visiting and he's got to be seen. But I'm like also thinking he probably doesn't get much of a high from from crushing with that joke anymore because it's something he's done literally on national TV. But you know, it's like in LA, you gotta, you gotta kill and they do it. They have short sets and you just have to, you have to make sure that you get that show, that, that growth elsewhere because you're not going to get it in it right away in LA by doing these five minute sets here and there. You're just trying to beat your chest, let the audience know you're good. Let the other comics know you're good and hope they book you on their show out of town. Can I, can I tell you in New York, it's the exact same. And it's the exact. I did. I did a show. I, I don't. I think I can talk about it because he's such a good friend of mine. But uh, Tyler Fisher Love has him. a show. Love him. Ha, I think he's he's a genius. genius. He's going to be. I think he's in L.A. right now. He's going to have seven TV shows. He I needs think to he's, be on SNL. Five I just years hope. Ago. I just hope he just survives. I, yeah. Because he's such a genius. Um. But and I'm I'm not saying that for any other reason other than I want to hire him. I I I I, I work so that I could hire Tyler. Yeah. But but. But Tyler has this. We great went to college show. together. Oh my God, it's amazing. We didn't know each other, but we actually That's went to hilarious. URI together. Yeah. Oh my God. So Tyler, uh, and then his co-partner is uh, Charlie, who's a, such a sweetheart. But they run a show at Bluebird that I think is it's probably the best, one of the best shows I've ever. Know, I don't it's, know Bluebird. It's one. It's a bar in Brooklyn. It's one of the best shows I've done in New York City. I recommend it to every single person out there listening. If you're in New York, go to see this show at Bluebird. It's a monster show, and I did it with eight comics. Every single comic on the show, I deeply respect. And they are all, I had seen all their work except for, uh, uh, she's a uh, uh, Austin, Molly Austin. I had never seen her, but she was hilarious. But 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 I, all eight comics were, you know, I came on Ian Fidance, who's an amazing comic, was destroying. And, and every single person that was on that show was between the ages of 28 and 35, uh, they're all that older millennial we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They all are. For thirty minutes, they will hurt you. Right. For thirty minutes, they, they there is no doubt. Every single person in that room for thirty minutes can cause you physical pain. <laughs> and and I got in that room and I I had four jokes that I wanted to do. Two of them were brand new. And I I watched Ian just dissemble the audience. Yeah. And in that moment, I said, Nope, I'm doing my shit. I'm doing my old. I'm doing my old g- g- greatest hits. Yeah. And I went up there and I sold out and I did 
the shit that I knew. But I know that feeling. because It's not it, like I'm not doing that, trust I me. I think there, there's multiple reasons for it. I don't think there's any reason to beat yourself up for it. I, I think part of it is just like, this is show business, baby. Yeah. <laughs> this is show business. It's like you're in front of, you're in front of this audience and, and, and you want them to have a great time. Right. It's not about you. It's about them. And how it used to be is that... It's about them. New York comedy clubs, the quote-unquote showcase clubs, were, were the gym where you would work out your new material and then take it on the road. But at our level, or at the level of pretty much everyone who's in this rat race that's not like a known headliner, those showcase clubs, you, you might you might sneak in some new jokes or like some jokes you're working on, but chances are you're really trying to murder. And that's exactly what it is in L.A. where you're just like, fuck. I did, the show I did last night was a real piece of shit show, as expected. And um, there was a couple, there was an L.A. comic and a New York comic who walked in right before my set. And they're both comics that, like, you don't want to just eat shit in front of. And it was a yeah. bad room. And, I, you know, I ended up, um, you know, kind of steering that negative energy in the only direction you can. Where you just know it's not going well. You start doing some crowd work. You get them on your side, whatever. But still, like a boxing match where I didn't get knocked out. But I busted a lip in that ring last night and you leave there feeling like oh that hurt but you also feel like you learned something too but you just you got to do these sets in front of people you respect they're in the back of the room and you know you should zone it out but also at the same time like it's just one of those things where we all the, the longer you do it we all know each other like if you ever if, you, if someone's ever like hey what's this craig fox guy what should i hey get him on your stage like go he's fun to watch go right. like we all start to know each other but, yeah. our differences and what makes us unique i like that we start off we started off with talking to girls at at a bar because i think talking to your to the people who support your comedy is very similar mm-hmm. i think a lot of comedians don't want to face that sort of drunken guy from New Jersey who doesn't agree with your politics. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk to him because they know that that drunken guy is going to be like, hey, you're a millennial. You don't know nothing. Talk about talk about Italians. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to talk to that guy. But in reality, that guy has the same fears and the same insecurities that you do as a performer. Mm-hmm. And if you can just give yourself 10 minutes with that guy, you'll probably write two more jokes and you'll also probably learn a lot more about yourself. You create a fire with that friction you, yeah. versus just shunning each other. So that's the way I'm building my tour is that I go to I'm going to be in San Diego August 15th and 16th the general store in California it's a coffee shop but it has 50 seats where is that is that uh, in the La valley Cuenga. it's by Iliad bookstore wait wait, wait. It's in the. Is that in the valley? Yeah, I think so. That yeah. the general store. That's where. The, have you been there before? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where they've got like. Shows. That's where they've got all the. Um, they've got like all the um, different wicker. Yeah. Chair. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, I love that place. Yeah, it's like I'm. I basically. They make killer sandwiches. When I walked in, I just grew a Mark Twain beard. Like when I walked in, I was like, I love this place. That I, this is what I want to do. Place. Yeah. Is awesome. I know. So I'm gonna be there August 20th through the 25th, five days in a row. And then I'm doing the 27th there too, so I'm doing six shows there. So nice. it's like a it's like a week at the Creek, only it's a week at the General Store. And, easy, uh, easy to park. Easy um, to park. It's yeah, that's great. And it's a coffee shop with great food, good and good sandwiches, good bowl of salad. Amazing, yeah. And then, that's so funny. I like that place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I'm doing the Lyric Hyperion great. on the 20 on the 18th. And the that's 26th. a great room. Then I'm doing uh, three shows in San Francisco, two in Oakland, and then one at Piano Fight, which I'm excited about. And then I'm going to do Seattle, Portland. Then I'm doing 10 shows in New Jersey, and then uh, I'm going to book the rest of it. And basically, by the end of the tour, it's going to take me six months, I'm going to do 45 cities, awesome. all self-produced. And so whatever city you're near, I'll come near it. And you can. F- I'm going to be releasing my website, craigfoxcomedy.com. Uh, and then also, you guys can uh, check me out on uh, Instagram at craigfoxcomedy and Twitter, craigfoxcomedy. I'm going to be tweeting and posting about the tour every day. 
And if you got an audience where you are, tell Craig about it. Yeah. Tell Craig, hey, come to my town. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> tell me. We'll both go. <laughs> yeah. Dave, Dave is going to be doing my show uh, at some point. Um, and part of the th- reason I'm doing it the way I'm doing it is because while I was running The Lantern, uh, I got over 300 Facebook messages a week from comedians around the country. So I got super lucky because I got to know, I was a booker, so I got to know thousands of comics, and yeah. I couldn't book everybody. I just couldn't. Yeah, right. So if I didn't respond to you, it's not because... I, I can only do so much. There's only so much I could do. But yeah. now that I'm traveling around the country, my plan is to book comedians on my show around the country. So this way, I can really work with real. Comedians you gotta fil- you, you gotta record and film and stuff and make sure. I'm gonna try to. Yeah, yeah you, you definitely should just try to document it all. That sounds great, man. Well, look, when you're in LA, come come by the uh, Sex Actually podcast studios. I would love come that. Come by <laughs> and, and we'll do another episode. Thanks, Dave. And uh, thanks again. We're at 75 minutes, so I'm just going to. Uh, I think I think we covered as much as we could here. It means so much. Thank it, you. For it was so time. great to come out here, and uh, I'm going to share and, this everywhere. And uh, this is the only podcast I'm doing before the tour. Great. So, so what's you. what's your social media so people can check that sure, out? Sure. On Twitter, it's Craig Fox Comedy. On Instagram, it's Craig Fox Comedy. And uh, on my my website will be craigfoxcomedy.com, and I'm going to release it on Friday uh, this of this week. Great. And so we'll have all the tour information. You can get tickets on there. All the tickets for my entire tour are going to be on brownpapertickets.com. Amazing. So you can go on Brown Paper Tickets and just type in Craig Fox, and all of my shows should come up for the entire tour. Great. So if you're not in, if you're in, wherever you are, go support Craig. Um, it's it's important, you know, obviously to support artists and yeah. live comedy and show show people that it works. It's called the Anxiety Reality Tour, and I'm going to be dealing with. Th- I'm going to be talking about how hard it is to deal with anxiety, reality, and through that, I'm going to find my identity. Bring your Republican parents. Yes, bring your Republican parents. I'm not afraid of anybody, and I also. <laughs> And I also am trying to make you laugh. Amazing. I'm not trying to do a TED talk. I'm gonna make you laugh. That's, Amazing. That's let me let me uh, let me just say my dates real quick. Because so if you're listening to this right as it comes out, um, July 28th, I'm in Newport, Rhode Island for an awesome show. I'm gonna be doing a lot of time. It's gonna be a ton of fun. So if you're anywhere near New England, come to Newport, July 28th. It's gonna be a blast. Uh, reach out to me for ticket information. Um, July 29th, I'm gonna be in Lancaster. California. I'm literally going to be across the country. As soon as my Newport show's over, I'm flying back to the West Coast. Lucky Luke's is a brewery. It's an outdoor show. It's going to be like, a, it's a huge couple hundred seats right in the middle of a brewery in the middle of nowhere in Lancaster. If by chance you live in that area, um, it's like an hour or two north of Los Angeles. Come on down. I think that's a free show. Either way, they've got good beers and things like that. Um, I think, and I think they're under $7. So I think, I think they're good on that <laughs> note. But dude, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. And um, thanks, everyone so go check out Craig and well, uh, hopefully we'll see you soon out in LA. Yeah, give the best to you, give the best to your girlfriend too. I will. I'll tell her. I'll yeah. tell her. Yeah, she's she she loves when she can uh, be on the pod. But um, hopefully she's listened this far. She probably tunes that up for twenty minutes. But yeah. I'll tell her you said hi and everyone go check Craig out. Uh, this has been episode I think two thirty five. Congratulations! Can you believe that? Congrats! Thanks, man. All right, bye everybody. Bye.